0: Hello and welcome to the official Building Your Business podcast series presented by Archer Gallon Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Our firm has launched this podcast series to help simplify some of the complex challenges that occur when owning and operating a business and to assist business owners to better understand the inner workings of their organization, regardless of which industry you operate within. Every month, we'll be releasing a new episode featuring special guests from industry, as well as Archie Gallen Redshaw Directors Ian Walker, Smilian Jankovic, and Valda Glynn to provide their commentary on a variety of business management topics alongside expertise surrounding accounting, taxation, and business strategy. Welcome to our podcast series, Building Your Business. Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Lewis, and you're listening to the Building Your Business podcast presented by Archie Gallen Redshaw Chartered Accountants. In our episode today... I'm joined by special guest Margaret Lawson, Managing Director from Cole Lawson Communications alongside AGR Executive Chairman Ian Walker. Across the episode, today we'll be discussing a broad overview of communication strategy and management for business owners and C-suite professionals. Uh, Throughout the discussion, we'll focus on key factors involved in business and personal communication, providing an in-depth understanding of reputational risk at both an enterprise and personal level. As well as the approach to establishing a preemptive risk and crisis recognition strategy, as well as a media strategy and management process. Welcome, Margaret and Ian.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
0: Uh, just so as some background, Margaret is Managing Director of Cole Lawson Communications, a multi award winning public relations agency specialising in branding, media relations, crisis communication, and strategy. Across her career, Margaret has acted for private and public industry-leading clients, both on a national and international scale, and servicing corporate communications and media relations alongside risk management and mitigation. Through Coal Communications, Margaret's focus has been to manage crisis issues and scenarios whilst advising on communication strategy and planning.
1: We started out as a very traditional public relations company that you would be familiar with doing a lot of media relations work. We moved more into an issues and crisis management space because a few years into my career, um, a slightly weird thing about me is that I did my postgraduate studies in aviation safety management, specialising in accident and incident investigation, which is a very risk-focused area of practice. And I've really tried to bring those two things, being organisational risk and you know my, my academic background in aviation safety, together to form some frameworks, which is where reputational risk management comes from.
0: I mean obviously being a a business leader and things like that you've come across um, various scenarios and probably the same with yourself Ian in terms of uh, how you've seen clients and what they've done as well. Um, So when we talk about crisis management and, and reputational risk on a, on a scale. I mean, how would you define those terms overall? I mean, what's the goal in that area? And it'd be great to sort of hear some of your thoughts as well, Ian, on anything that you've come across in this space. But I'll, I'll pass it to, to Margaret first to, I guess, define those terms for us.
1: Yeah, I think that the term crisis is probably overused. And to define the different elements in this area of practice, you've got a risk, which is uh, an issue or a crisis that's not realised, it's something that could go wrong. An issue being a um, a potential matter that could um, smoulder and you know catch fire and turn into a crisis. And most things that we actually see are at the the issues stage and don't become a full blown crisis. Um, now, a full blown crisis is something that disrupts the way an organisation conducts business while attracting significant public attention and typically those a real crisis um, causes the organisation to actually uh, be at risk of failing because of financial regulatory government or or legal intervention in the matter.
2: Well I suppose from a professional services perspective, um, I think three big things is our staff, our clients and our reputation and brand. So I think from a crisis perspective, we try to avoid them as much as we can. But I suppose how do we as business owners, and I'm, I'm coming from a perspective both for myself and for our clients, what at the issue level tweaks our common sense to go, hey, we've got to go talk to someone about managing this issue before it becomes a crisis. What, what are our I suppose, light bulb moments.
1: Okay, I think that at the, the risk management point, I think every business owner needs to be aware of the top 10 areas where you can actually realise risks can be realised. And I think you've identified a few of them. You've, you've mentioned staff, you've mentioned clients. And unfortunately, the, the fact is that a lot of crises actually do come about because of the actions of somebody other than the business owner. So it's really important for you to be aware of of where those risks can come from and to make sure that you have the appropriate policies and procedures in place. Um, What we recommend clients do is is be aware of the top 10 crisis types, which uh, I'll name a few of them. Um, Organisational misdeeds is the top one, health and safety, inappropriate workplace behaviour, technology, and a natural disaster. They're just a few that that would be quite common to most organisations. So once you're aware of of what those are, we recommend that people about once a year or so, the the new financial year can be a good time to do it, map your organisation against each of those areas and determine if it's a potential area of risk that's really relevant to you and make sure that you do have the appropriate mitigations in place.
2: What's the process? I, I give you a call and I say, Margaret xyz's happened and you go okay let's plan it out let's go about this in a in a methodical manner there's social media there's traditional media how do our businesses work together in order to i suppose turn this issue completely around or to to mitigate the crisis back to um, a place where we can be operating normally again
1: Ian, it's very much like managing any other kind of risk, be it a financial risk or a safety risk. So once you've identified um, that there is a potential issue, I, I really, I noticed you mentioned the words, uh, this has happened. What we actually would love you to do is to get in touch with someone like myself before it's actually happened, at the point where you see that it could happen. Um, we deal with a lot of law firms um, helping clients at the point where they've identified that there is some potential litigation or a potential workplace issue or a complaint. And then we essentially scenario map out what could happen at each stage of that that issue becoming realised and what are the worst case scenarios, which are the, the points where it can really become a full-blown
0: crisis. And so looking at that and the scenario planning, what's that journey look like? Is that a quite a lengthy one, especially if it's coming to you prior to identifying the risk?
1: It really depends on just how complicated the matter is. Um, and Cole Lawson has dealt with matters that have been everywhere in a legal sense, from the magistrates court through to the high Court. and there's a different level of complexity at at each stage and um, in each different jurisdiction depending on what you're talking about. Um, some some recent uh, matters that I've dealt with have included a a bank where the board has identified that there's been uh, some potential fraud taking place from a an employee and uh, you know sitting down and working through with the lawyers, what's actually transpired and what could happen and there's obviously um, you know it it could be that the matter's resolved internally it could be that it ends up in the hands of the police um, and there are a number of other things that can happen something like that can be quite complex and there are a number of different stakeholders and moving parts meaning you don't know what the other party is going to do um, and then you can have quite simple ones which could be an individual who's who's dealing with a potential um, regulatory matter and it could go one of two ways so it really depends on on exactly what the matter is in terms of how long it takes mm-hmm. but as a professional I would hope to be able to get an understanding of the fundamentals of the issue within about you know an hour and one to two hours
2: so is crises and issues across industries various industries and and Our client base is is quite diverse as well. Uh, We have lawyers, medicos, um, property, lots of risk involved in in those three specific industries. No strategy works for all of them. Um, There's nothing that a business owner can try to put in their policies and procedures that um, is, is quite common or is it Courses for courses and everything is bespoke?
1: It's it's quite bespoke that there are commonalities. So when you're doing your risk mapping, we'll, we'll put a document after this podcast up on the Cole Lawson website that you can download from colawson.com.au um, which will have those 10 areas. And then it's really a matter of you sitting down, looking at some examples And I find Google's a fantastic resource, Googling what crises have happened to people in your industries, which can be pretty confronting, but also eye-opening. For example, if you're in a professional services firm and you look at the technology risk, um, we define some different risks, including uh, cyber security, cyber hacking, um, privacy. Um, Those are just two So you would think about, how does this relate to my business? Do you have a a large database of customers or stakeholders that is potentially at risk? Um, If you don't, then maybe that's going to be a low-risk one for you. Um, Are you in a heavily regulated uh, industry that needs to be very compliant with particular uh, technology requirements? If so, are you meeting everything that you need to be meeting? Um, so it is bespoke, but you know, there are some definite commonalities across those areas.
0: And in terms of looking at the combined approach of having your business risks and your personal risks um, and reputation, Do you see a lot of things that come from a business perspective that goes into the personal side and vice versa in terms of managing that reputation? Because a lot of business owners now are probably on Twitter, they're on LinkedIn, they're providing that ongoing (laughs) commentary. There's things on there on those platforms where people can put their views and such. So yeah, what's sort of the strategy behind that? What's sort of the thought process of making sure that when it does become one sort of brand, your personal and your business brand, how you can make sure that you manage that effectively?
1: Well, in the past five years, Chris, I think we have seen an explosion of things happening in the personal space having an impact on people's reputation, fairly or unfairly. Um, and, you know, we saw a really good example recently um, where there was uh, an individual who was a CEO, um, he uh, contracted covid and, you know, through, through the fact that he was a high-profile individual, his name was named and shamed all over the media because he'd contracted this virus. There wasn't, I don't think, an implication he'd done anything wrong, um, but, you know, how a person handles that situation within their own, you know, social media community can impact on whether that situation blows up. In the media, or whether it doesn't, mm-hmm. um, you'll notice a lot of times in the news these days when you see a photograph uh, of a suspect in a court case or someone who is mentioned um, incidentally in a story, often it says the source of the photograph is Facebook. So, um, you know, one thing that you can do if you you want to make sure that you're not accessible. Um, is to do a personal audit and to get some of your friends or family to have a look at all of your social properties and if they disconnect from you, what they can actually find and see of you personally online um, if they're not connected to you. That can be really confronting. Mm
2: -hmm. So I suppose that's a good segue into social media. Good, bad and ugly. (laughs) All three. (laughs) What is your... Opinion about using social media at the PR level. Let's let's go before there's any crisis because your firm also does a lot of PR. It's good strategy for marketing to some degree, definitely. And then, how do you advise clients when that line gets crossed? As Chris was mentioning before, where that topic, that particular thought process, starts impacting at an issue level. How does your professional experience say, "Mate, time to stop." time to shut that down, take a 30, 60, 90 day hiatus from any Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, Instagram too. So there's no photos floating around whatsoever. How how do you structure advice for for business and, and CEOs that way?
1: The advice that we give depends on what you start with. We, uh, My firm is actually going through a review of our social media properties at the moment and we're doing that with a view of actually removing a few properties from our portfolio. Um, so for me as a professional services firm that deals largely in the B2B space, we are really questioning whether we need a business Facebook page because that's not where our business owners who we deal with are looking when they want public relations advice so I I think it it depends where you start if you as a business have all of those properties and if you deal with a lot of consumers um, then you probably do want to have Instagram and Facebook Um, we would probably in the, the event of an issue not recommend that you just go dark or shut them down if you've had them and they've been very active because that can look like you're guilty of something and you're trying to hide if you don't have those properties, then you wouldn't want to set them up at the moment that you have an issue and you're under scrutiny. So it depends how you've used them in the past and making sure that you're being authentic with what you've traditionally done.
2: In your experience as well, because you know your firm's been quite successful over a long period of time, has the traditional media outlets, radio, TV, suddenly changed from a Good source of assistance to businesses to being not so relevant, and therefore the social media channels—the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, the LinkedIn's—have taken over a role. So therefore, as business owners, our communication style to the wider community um, is now different. Therefore, the messages that we are required to send out to them is also different. Over the last, you know, x amount of years that that your firm's been around, has have you seen? That change? And is it good or bad?
1: That's a great question. I guess what hasn't changed is as communicators, the role that we do, um, which is to help organisations connect and communicate with stakeholders. What has changed is that the platforms that can be used, both for good and bad or good and evil, um, have have changed. So it's a case of doing the same job, communicating the same messages, but doing so in slightly different ways. When it comes to the traditional media, what we do see, and I think it's important for business owners to know, that social media are a huge source of content for traditional journalists. So you can't divorce one from the other. To give you an example, print journalists who today have a KPI Of um, attracting online subscriptions and eyes on their story online will, when making a decision about whether to cover person A or B, a factor in considering whether that story is newsworthy will be how many Instagram followers does that person have. So, take for example, um, someone who's got two business owners going into court, and the journalist has to make a decision about whether they'll cover story A or story B assuming that both are equally interesting or salacious and person A has 35,000 Instagram followers and person B has 500, they're probably going to spend more time focusing on the person with a huge following purely because it's commercially beneficial for the media to have stories out there about high profile people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something for you to consider about whether you want to put yourself in the crosshairs mm-hmm. In that sense and have a public profile where you're attracting a lot of attention but also scrutiny um, or whether you'd rather as a business owner be under the radar that very much depends on as a business owner who are your stakeholders Um, you know if you're in the the health the fitness the beauty the hospitality industry then there's probably a big upside to you having that profile if you're a um, an accountant maybe there is less upside and particularly if you're a lawyer, there might be more downside.
2: When uh, we're trying to grow our businesses uh, and, and you know we have, as you mentioned, hospitality, retail, et cetera, we want to be in front of as many consumers as as we can, so therefore we want our business to have big following. Can we separate ourselves as owners of those businesses? and and, and you know it could be part of a, a larger franchise arrangement or something similar. Can we distance ourselves, let uh, let the business itself ride? I suppose when we ask uh, for your professional opinion, what do we allow staff to do and not do in those situations as well?
1: Now, this is one of the areas where you absolutely must have a policy because you can't retrospectively go back and give someone a smack on the wrist for doing something that they weren't specifically precluded from doing. Um, And, you know, what we see in business is that where things go wrong, it can be because the wrong person has access to the corporate account so making sure that as a business owner, if you have people coming and going, that you are you guard very closely those passwords to your Twitter and your Instagram. And also making sure that our employees are aware that if they position themselves online as somebody who is from your organisation, that what goes with that is that they're an ambassador for your organisation. So making sure that however you want to approach that in your business, is appropriately documented, briefed to staff, and that you know they sign off on that as a a condition of their either a condition of their employment or as one of the policies and procedures that they have to abide by as a condition of their employment. It's not just uh, customers either. I mean, we've done quite a bit of work in the education sector, and one of the fastest burning crises I've ever seen was actually at a private school and it was a a student who came to Book Week and um, dressed in a... The the brief was to dress as a historical character, and he came dressed as a dictator um, who had uh, a a track record of genocide. Unfortunately, there were some visitors to the school that day who were from the particular um, ethnic group um, that that genocide um, had been committed against, And they took offence. They told their parents via text. Some of their parents started tweeting about it. Someone talked to the ABC about it. Within a couple of hours, that was running in the New York Daily News and in news agencies around Europe. So the school started receiving phone calls from um, outraged people from all over Australia and the world And we were engaged after that had already started to to blow up um, to assist them with that. It's a perfect example of, you know, sometimes I know we all say as professional services people that our business would function a lot better without clients or without staff. Unfortunately, you can't have a business without those things. But in those those businesses, they're also your biggest risks sometimes. So you have to make sure that that you're cognisant of that. One piece of advice that we give to our clients is to do reputational risk management training as part of your broader media training or customer service training programs with your employees. One of my clients um, has been a company that owns uh, video games stores across Australia. The type of training that we do with them involves briefing their customer service teams on the way to recognise a situation that could be of interest to the media. Um, So we we brief them on news values and how journalists decide whether something is newsworthy. And they have line responsibility for the people who are managing the stores and dealing with the customers at the coalface. So by recognising something when it's happening at the moment of impact, they're able to determine how their response um, is going to mitigate that. Now, one of the ways that you can do that is to make sure that you empower your frontline staff to resolve issues with customers before they blow up and end up as a complaint or um, with the person calling a, um, a news organisation to report how disgruntled they are.
2: And how common is that these days, Margaret? Is it is more that they fire off 140 characters or do they ring the ABC as an example and, and express their... Um, Frustrations that way.
1: Well, good journalists will ask a disgruntled customer or a complainant when they call what action they have taken. Um, so if it's a, a criminal um, allegation, they'll ask if it's been reported to the police. And a responsible journalist won't report something like that until they've checked that the appropriate processes have been followed. So um, typically, as, as an organisation, if you're aware of a complaint happening then you have an opportunity, sometimes a limited time window opportunity, but still a time opportunity to be able to um, prevent that from getting bigger. A perfect example of this, I don't know, do you guys remember the viral YouTube video called United Breaks Guitars?
0: Not myself. Okay,
1: no. everyone needs to google this because it's it's pretty clever. It was um, a band was travelling in the United States and on United Airlines, obviously, and one of their very expensive um, guitars was broken, and they claimed to have seen it happening out the window of the plane when they saw baggage handlers essentially throwing their belongings, um, their very valuable kit around the tarmac before it was loaded onto the plane. When they arrived at their destination and found that it was broken, they called, um, and they were told, sorry, we've got no liability for this, you know, and and on and on it went. They wrote a a song about the situation, which last time I saw this, it had, I'm going to say about 15 million views. It's called United Breaks Guitars, and it details their journey through the customer service system at United Airlines, including the name of the person they spoke to who told them she couldn't help. And um, and it's a perfect example of how if that person had been authorized to um, compensate these people as you know, not that that's the organization's policy in terms of um, risk management, but if they had actually had a policy saying, look, if something looks like it's going to go really bad, we will give this person a $1,000 delegation to be able to compensate a customer. They would have actually saved themselves years and decades, I think, of humiliation and having this, um, you know, this con- condemnatory video <laughs> out on the internet as a source of amusement. And I do, I really suggest you go and check it out after after this because it's pretty funny.
2: So I suppose um, you mentioned about... Staff and briefing, um, and also media training. As as organisations and as business owners, um, at what point should we start the process of being trained in in media? And how do we then, I suppose, put that all throughout the the organisation? Because staff go everywhere; uh, they are ambassadors for our businesses. They they are both, um, you know, a walking sideboard, depending on what industry we're in, and they're also one of our um, biggest referral sources if they're out and about at events. So what opportunities, uh, what threats, what what should we look for um, and, and start for when we want to start the training process?
1: Yeah, it depends on the size of your business, but my general advice is that if you are a CEO or a business owner, if you're a lawyer who will find yourself um, talking on behalf of your clients, giving press conferences, um, or indeed a spokesperson within a larger organisation then get trained. You know, that's that's the basic advice. If you're in a larger organisation that has people out on the road uh, attending conferences where media might be present or people who have uh, a high-profile customer-facing role, it would be advantageous to have them trained. Within medium-sized organisations, like potentially um, a large professional services firm, we might run annual media training with the CEO or the managing partner and three or four key members of their executive team. From there, I mean, it depends how consumer-facing your business is, um, but you could extend that down to... Um, if it's a retail business, you might want to extend that down to people who are responsible for your stores, handling complaints and that, and that sort of thing. Even call centre people, if if that's an area where you have exposure.
0: The other area that I was hoping to, to speak uh, further about and just uh, get your thoughts on this is opportunity management as well and i know we've spoken in the past about building um your brand bank as well um what's that process like how does that all fit into everything and and how would you help businesses build that and and create that i guess uh that library i suppose
1: yeah let's let's not just talk about the negative things (laughs) let's let's talk about the positive as well um you know having a as as i call it a, a brand bank is is a positive both for generating customer loyalty, retention and new business, but also it's a natural hedge against those times when things go wrong. Um, so if you think of it as as a bank account and you're your accountants here. So okay, let's let's talk finance. If you've got a bank account and it's in the black. It's got, a, it's got some money in there, but not a lot. If you make regular deposits into that, you are naturally mitigating your risk against that really unexpected withdrawal that comes out when some direct debit that you weren't expecting occurs. That's the kind of the same thing with organisational reputation. We don't usually have a lot of time to prepare for crises, and when they do happen, they can withdraw all of your reputational goodwill in one fell swoop. Therefore, it's important over time to keep adding to your brand bank through it can be positive customer experiences, great customer service, positive media coverage, um, fantastic social media content, um, you know, great uh, surprise and delight experiences with your customers. You know, all of that positive stuff adds up um, in your prospects and your customers' minds um, to to a place where if something bad happens, um, you've got enough um, – you've got enough in the bank to be able to weather that storm
2: so that would be a very proactive way of achieving some reputational goodwill when do we start that process that's that's pretty much day one in our business we we put a plan in part of our marketing strategy would be involved in this there would be um time dollars set aside is that basically how the system would work
1: well the system um, the system it doesn't have to be day one I think when we start a new business you know we're very focused on revenue generation from the start Um, but it doesn't have to be about positive media relations or even a a very detailed marketing plan. It can just be about making sure that we act authentically and we provide great experiences for our customers. I think that's the first thing that you want to do is making sure that your business is in good shape and delivering good satisfaction. That's, that's the first part of building your brand bank but then when you want to start to go out to the broader community whether that is at the very beginning of your business or once you have a few runs on the board then it's a great idea to sit down with someone like myself um, who you know we most most people who deal with the media on a regular basis have got some background in journalism um, and and having us cast a lens over your business and look at what are the positive things that you're doing or the expertise and capability that you have to talk about things that you may not even have recognised. And um, getting expert commentary, for example, in the business pages can sometimes be relatively easy to do, but you may not actually recognise that you are an attractive spokesperson for journalists. So, you know, recognising those opportunities and then being trained is is beneficial so that you know going into the interaction with the journalist what's expected of you, what are your responsibilities, but also what are your rights Um, because you are in control. As the spokesperson, you have the opportunity to say yes or no to interviews. They can only quote what you say. Um, So you have a lot of control over the process and our training helps people understand that environment and to make sure that they take full advantage of it when it's presented to them.
0: And Just the the final thing that I wanted to cover as well is, I guess this this past uh, sort of, 12, 18 months with regards to COVID and um, looking at that. I mean, what's some of the impacts that you've seen COVID have on business reputational risk and potentially even then moving into, I mean, you alluded to a story before about the sort of the crises and things like that. But um, yeah, what's some of the the overall impacts you've seen on, on business risk?
1: Well, more so than ever before, from a reputational point of view, the COVID crisis has created this situation where businesses that may otherwise have not been in the news have suddenly been thrust into the spotlight for reasons completely outside their control. And we saw this particularly in 2020 when this was all quite new. Every time there was a, a COVID exposure, the government would release a list of sites And the media would be racing out to those restaurants um, and those gyms and locations to interview the business owners about the impacts on them. So what that meant is that we literally had, you know, a suburban Thai restaurant that probably never would have thought that they would be in the media suddenly with journalists camped outside. And that can be a really, really terrifying and confronting thing for those people to deal with. Um, and I have every sympathy for for people who've suddenly been thrust into this spotlight through COVID. What we would recommend, so three key principles, if you find yourself in the midst of a sudden, uh, completely unexpected situation like that, there are three things that you can do. So number one is you need to react swiftly. You can't This is not something you can put on the back burner and deal with in a couple of days' time. You need to act swiftly in all things that you do. Secondly, you need to be authentic. Um, So that's authentic to your organisation's values and just, you know, simple, good human behaviour. So being authentic to how you would want to be treated as a customer. And the third thing is being coordinated. So making sure that you are not shooting from the hip and, um, you know, making statements about or that, that, um, that touch on what the, the regulator or the health department might be doing until you talk to them and make sure that you are on board with what they're saying. So a good example of this was a, an organisation that reached out to us when they found they'd had a COVID exposure and you know the the swift action was for them to get on the phone straight away to Queensland Health and to make sure that they had the facts correct about what time that was what time that occurred um, what the procedures were going forward this was quite early on so at that stage we still weren't sure do you notify the customers on your contact list or is it Queensland Health who notifies your customers Um, authentically uh, so they immediately shut their doors um they they were very responsive in calling in the you know the best cleaning crews that they could find um you know they stood their their employees down but the the thing that they did which was kind and authentic was made sure that those people were compensated and and didn't suffer because of it by releasing information swiftly to the media authentically talking about what they'd done and that messaging being coordinated and aligned with what the health department and the police were saying um, they were able to manage it as well as it could be managed the outcome of that was that um, a, a radio station in Brisbane did a shout out to them the next morning and said when they'd be reopening and encouraged everyone to go into their shop Um, and said that it was safe because it had been cleaned and the health department was was fine for it to reopen so everyone go in and support their business. Um, I think that in those kind of situations sometimes as a business owner you want to hide under a table and just not talk to anyone but if you just remember you know react swiftly authentically and in coordination with um, authorities then you'll likely get a better or the best possible outcome in the situation.
2: Let's play a hypothetical. An issue's arisen in an organisation. We can pick whatever industry you want uh, to talk about. We know that it's happened, had a few calls come in or a few emails, few tours, whatever it is. We see that this is starting to, to balloon um, and it's ballooning quite rapidly. How, I suppose, do organisations then try somehow to either slow it down, put it to bed get the public on-site or off-site, depending on the situation. How does an organisation get that across to the general public?
1: So you'll notice that some issues and crises become front-page news and the organisations get absolutely slammed online by the news media. And then you see other situations where something similar might have happened and it's not front-page news. The number one thing that I would say to people that determines... How much sympathy they get in the response to a crisis is how they actually respond as an organisation. And I think you know if you to to your point in where you say that you've seen something bubbling along in the organisation, the number one thing that um, gets the media excited and gets stakeholders upset is the word cover up. Um, So when you try and when you know there's a problem and then you actively try and conceal that, that is the number one thing that gets people in trouble. So you'll notice that often with a crisis, it's not the thing that actually happened um, that that results in the problem or the reputational problem. It's how the organisation dealt with it. So did it know about this situation before and let it happen? Or was it a situation that was not foreseeable, and then the organisation dealt with it very swiftly? Um, great example of this is the the recent situation with Boeing and the criticism that they faced over the the seven three seven Max crashes um, you know there there has been a lot of really bad publicity and it's really hit their bottom line very hard not around the fact that there was a problem and there was an accident but that potentially it was known about and it was covered up and action wasn't taken you know put that lens over a situation if it goes public, How will you be judged because of how you dealt with it? And if people are able to demonstrate that they've dealt with things authentically, ethically, acted promptly to avoid harm to their stakeholders, then they'll get a much better hearing than if they actively tried to avoid responsibility or to cover it up.
0: Well, thank you very much for for covering those different areas I mean uh, as you say we've spoken I guess from a, a broad overview on on communication in, in one way or another and that strategy management there so it's been great to to hear I guess uh, your your thoughts and expertise on that and how um, potential business owners and and c-suite executives can make sure that uh, um, that their reputations are obviously uh, well regarded in that respect and, and taking all the appropriate uh, processes and procedures to do so. So, um, you know, if there is anyone out there that's wanting to chat further about whether it's the the media training or or some other thing that they'd um, like to discuss further with you, uh, what's the best way to do that? How do they go about getting in touch?
1: They can find us, Chris, uh, through our website, which is collawson.com.au. That's C-O-L-E lawson.com.au while you're there you can find our contact details but also you can download our reference document on the 10 types of organizational risks and that's a good resource for you to use in mapping your own risks as an organization and you'll find that not all of them are going to apply to every organization so um, it is it is achievable for small businesses Um, in particular, to be able to think through ahead of time how they would deal with those situations and make sure they have the relevant policies and procedures and systems in place.
2: Well, thank you, Margaret, for uh, sharing today your experiences and your expertise. Uh, It's been great to hear about bad things, but also the positive stuff that that organisations can do. As we all are professionals, our reputation, you know, takes a long time to build up can disappear very very quickly as as you mentioned in in the brand for everyone out there our client base our referral sources thanks for listening Uh, we appreciate margaret sharing all the crises and all the positivity covid will come and it'll go hopefully but there will always be some sort of issue that's floating around so make sure that everyone's on top of we've got the right policies we're sharing with staff we're sharing with customers so i thank you for that Um, And I thank all the listeners. Thank you so much. I hope it helped.
0: For business owners seeking accounting, taxation, business advisory and superannuation support and assistance, please feel free to get in contact with the advisor team at Archer, Gallen Redshaw, led by Ian Walker, Smilian Jankovic and Valda Glynn, our firm are a Brisbane CBD-based accounting practice supporting businesses across a variety of industries throughout Southeast Queensland and nationally. You can get in contact with our team via the website www.agredshaw.com.au, via email at info at or contacting 7 2699